Eurasia Chat, a bi-weekly discussion of hottest topics in Central Asia, hosted by Aigirim Tuluhanova and Alisher Hamidov. Hello everyone, so this week we will discuss uh, ongoing crackdown against political dissent in Kyrgyzstan. Then we're going to turn to Uzbek president's uh, daughter's new job. We'll talk about presidential elections in Kazakhstan and we'll end with some stories about Russian migrants and how they're coping in Central Asia over the past uh, few weeks. So, Aigurim, we've just uh, had uh, election in Kazakhstan. So can you provide us an update about what's happening there? Yeah, we had elections November 20th. As many all predicted, uh, Kasim Jomar Tokayev has won the elections and he was running against uh, several little-known um, public figures. Kasim Jomar Tokayev, with early results, won more than 80% of the votes. There was uh, really little time for other candidates to prepare And some of them did some uh, tours and talked to the population. I know that at least from two uh, female candidates, uh, Sultanat Tursunbekova and Karakat Abden, Sultanat has been uh, pretty uh, active and vocal about improving the situation with domestic violence of women in Kazakhstan, for example, while her um, competitor Karakat Abden is kind of uh, opposite of her and thinks that um, women should follow the traditional role. So uh, from these early results, we know that the second, let's say, winner candidate in Kazakh presidential elections was a candidate named Against All, which got 5% and 8% of the votes. So it shows at least some form of public um, dissent and that there are no real um, candidates to choose from. We know that before elections, during and after, there were some protests of civil activists who were detained. A lot of independent observers that went to the voting polls have told about violations. Uh, some observers were even kicked out of the polling stations after the elections. OSCE Organization for Monitoring the Elections, ODIHR, gave a negative assessment Actually, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Kazakhstan answered to it, saying that um, mm. the statement from OSCE is biased and that they don't want to cooperate with Kazakhstani authorities and that this will be taken into consideration in the future. Yeah, there were a lot of things happening in the elections. And one of the interesting notes is that we have seen uh, former president Nursultan Nazarbayev appearing um, during the elections. And uh, it's not as common for him to appear publicly after January events. And uh, he did comment to uh, journalists about the January events and Actually, he said that um, Karim Masimov, who used to be the head of the security National Security Committee of Kazakhstan, who is now on trial, he said something like, did Jesus Christ knew about Yuda, who was sitting next to him, that he kind of betrays him? He said that he will wait for the results of this trial and we'll see how it goes. So this is, in short, how elections went in Kazakhstan. I agree. This, these elections, they give Kasim Jomar Tokayev a legitimacy boost. Now he's legitimately elected president. So do you think that Kazakhstan as a country is more stable after this political election? 
So it's a hard question to answer because it depends on so many things right now, given the complex geopolitical situation as well. I think that from the side of uh, Tokayev, it, it's probably smarter to call for snap elections now um, than wait some few years, um, given that this time would be enough for some opposition forces, for example, to gain some support and some time as to your question whether Kazakhstan will be stable, I don't know because it depends on um, the domestic situation and also on geopolitical situation. We know that there are so many problems in Kazakhstan in in many aspects of life, in economy, in politics, in social life. Uh, just this week as well, there were a number of protests of uh, some workers the violation of labor rights is happening regularly and that the economy is not doing great. And uh, people also see the surge of uh, Russian migrants as well, which we will talk about later. And there is war in Ukraine and regular verbal attacks from Russian state TV that Kazakhstan is next or that the next problem is Kazakhstan, which was the case this week. So. It's it's hard to say, but I hope that Tokayev's administration understands the complexity of all these problems and will not try to become um, more authoritarian and try to kind of shut shut down these problems, but really tries to solve them and not um, ignore them. That's my hope, at least for the next seven years. Alshar, let's switch now to Uzbekistan. Recently, there was a news that the president's daughter, Saida Mirziyoeva, has uh, gotten a new title as a head of information and communication departments in president's office. And I was just wondering, is it her first title as a government official while her father is a president of Uzbekistan? So I agree, Saida Mirziyoeva's appointment is being hailed by some uh, bloggers and journalists as a victory of a uh, liberal camp within Uzbekistan. Uh, the thing is, Saida Mirziyoeva has been affiliated with this uh, liberal team of officials uh, within Mirziyoeva's administration. It's not her first time in, within the government. Uh, she's already occupied the job of uh, Deputy Director of Information and Mass Communications Agency from 2019 to 2020. From 2020 to 2021, she served as Deputy Chief of the Board of Trustees of the Public Fund for Support of Development of the National Mass Media. Through all of these positions, she demonstrated herself uh, as someone who takes issue with uh, social injustice, who defends the rights of women and who actually defended some bloggers and journalists who came under pressure from the government. So this is seen as a victory for the liberal camp, but we should not forget that so-called conservatives within the Uzbek government are continuing to occupy significant like positions of influence. So I should point out that concurrently with appointing Saida Mirziyoeva to her current position, President Mirziyoyev appointed a very hardcore conservative official, the governor of Surkhandaria region, as his advisor on public relations. So in some ways, he is counterweighing 
Saeed Amirzioyeva's liberal influence with uh, the weight of this conservative official? Uh, so returning to Saida, when she will start doing her work, will it mean any form of uh, democratization uh, or openness towards press and journalists uh, in authoritarian Uzbekistan? Well, government spokespersons in Uzbekistan are saying that uh, Saida Mirzova will be chiefly responsible for culture, education and social sector reform issues. But from what I've known and from what I've observed, uh, she will be as the chief public relations figure for her father. So anything that has to do with president's public image, Saida Mirzova will be involved. And she's affiliated with this guy, Komiljan Alamjanov, deputy chief of president's staff. He's also known as a liberal. So Saida Mirzova actually worked under him previously as his deputy in various uh, government jobs. So this team of uh, liberals, they're hoping that they will soften Mirzioyev's uh, public image, not only within Uzbekistan, but also abroad internationally. But again, we should not overestimate their influence, the influence of young uh, liberals like uh, Alamjonov and uh, Saida Mirzioyeva. Conservatives, uh, the holdovers from the Karimov era, they are still very powerful. So it seems like Mirzioyev is trying to balance uh, between these uh, liberals and conservatives. And as a result, he has a kind of a more of a balanced government. Switching now to Kyrgyzstan, which made some uh, international headlines last week by deporting a journalist from his own country to Russia. Can you tell us, Alisher, what is going on? How did it happen? And um, what will happen in Kyrgyzstan? Three things are happening in Kyrgyzstan. The first one, Kyrgyz government has taken action against human rights activists and social activists. Bolot Temir's case is one of the high-profile cases. So a lot of journalists are puzzled and they are threatened and they are frightened about what's going to happen to them. So, But the second thing that's happening is that the parliament has become rattled by the recent Actions. So they are now trying to tame the government, tame this growing authoritarianism. And uh, there's been some critical voices within the parliament. They didn't want to ratify the agreement between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan, uh, which was very controversial. So um, the parliament is basically trying to show its teeth to the Kyrgyz government. And the third thing that's happening lately is that the Kyrgyz government is trying to kind of show the parliament that, look, you are still insignificant. They convened this uh, so-called Kurultai or public assembly, which is part of the constitutional provision, you know, which is it is a quasi-parliament. So Kyrgyz government is basically trying to sell this uh, agreement to the public now by convening this public uh, assembly of Kurultai. So it's another way of showing the parliament that, look, you don't matter much. So if you if you will try to kind of uh, stop us, we're going to basically work with this Kurultai as an informal gathering to uh, basically ratify our, our, our decisions. So it's, it's a pretty complex situation in the country. But what are the legal grounds to actually take into account <clears throat> the opinion of this informal cruel tie because parliament has 
legal power what does Kurultai do in Kyrgyzstan? And that's the thing. I mean, it's not clear what this Kurultai is about, what its mandates are. The constitution says that Kurultais are convened by the president to consult with broader segments of society and to approve of the leadership's uh, policy priority. So it's an advisory informal body. And many MPs, they were against this Kurultai uh, when it was uh, being pushed through the parliament, the law, the, the, within the constitution. So they were saying, hey, we already have a parliament. Why the need for such an informal gathering? But it seems like the current leadership of Kyrgyzstan wants to use this informal gathering to weaken the parliament. Basically, uh, it's, a, it's a quasi-governmental institution and it has the capacity to pass legislation even, according to the constitution. So it's, it's a ridiculous thing, the situation, but it suggests that the president wants to use it as a tool to control political dissent within the parliament. I agree. We've touched upon the issue of Russian relakanti or migrants in Central Asia. So their presence is causing daily issues in all of the Central Asian cities. So let's talk about them. Can you provide us an update of what's happening in Kazakhstan with them? Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of things going on in Kazakhstan regarding Russian migrants. And uh, we've touched upon this topic uh, in our previous episode, when I mentioned that some uh, sex trainer, Alex Leslie, was promoting his uh, seminar, How to Pick Up Kazakh Women, and uh, he was um, actually not allowed to enter Kazakhstan for one year after this news. And there are some Russian stars, like singers, who were publicly supporting war in Ukraine, for example. And for some reason, um, in Kazakhstan, particularly in Almaty and Astana, there are some concerts of them. And the public managed to, let's say, cancel uh, some of these concerts. And um, some of them, uh, some of the people were even calling the organizers and asking, like, why are you organizing the concerts of these people? And there is a growing cancel culture in Kazakhstan. We also have heard that mainly in terms of Russian men, because there are more Russian men who came to Kazakhstan after Putin's uh, partial mobilization. They are experiencing some troubles uh, with um, local population. For example, one news that I've read is uh, one well-known Russian photographer who was taking pictures of Kazakh women and men uh, for example, he got some uh, threats from a local men saying that he shouldn't uh, photograph Kazakh women and stuff like that. Even this guy, uh, Alex Leslie, who was um, prohibited from entering the Kazakh border, uh, some of uh, local men actually wanted to make sure that he doesn't come to Kazakhstan by waiting for him at the airport and promising to beat him up. So yeah, there are a lot of emotions and tensions. And some some feminist activists actually noted this gap in what local um, Kazakh men, uh, as they were willing to 
quickly punish um, other, let's say, foreign men. But, um, for example, don't actually pay uh, closer attention to the uh, problem of domestic violence in Kazakhstan. So this is a, a problem that has been uh, discussed on social media in the past few weeks. And of course, in terms of uh, rent prices, it also was affecting a lot the most vulnerable uh, groups in Kazakhstan, like students, because landlords raised the rent and they kicked out uh, the local people uh, and um, rented their apartments uh, to uh, Russian migrants. Yeah, and how is the situation in uh, Kyrgyzstan? Is it the same or do you have any other peculiarities in terms of Russian migrants in Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, after several weeks of their presence here, some issues have emerged, some controversial issues. The thing is, some of these Russian citizens, they are complaining about living conditions in Kyrgyzstan through their vlogs and through their comments on social media. So one of such uh, famous uh, bloggers is Ilya Varlamov. He's recently commented about poor quality of uh, roads in Kyrgyzstan, about lack of architectural planning and all these issues, like, for example, even the sidewalks, they don't have good paving. And so some of the, some, some Kyrgyz social media users and ordinary people who have been unhappy about, you know, the rise in rent prices and about other inconveniences caused by this influx of Russian citizens, they were telling, they're telling these people, they're like Kanti, that, hey, if you don't like our country, you can go. You are guests here, so why don't you behave as guests? And what's interesting, this debate uh, has taken a, another twist. Uh, Varlamov and some other Russians here, they're basically saying, look, we're not here as your guests. If we were your guests, we wouldn't have, we shouldn't have been like paid for, for our stay here. When we came here, we paid for our own airfare. So, and we are not being like, we're not going to your houses, you know, as your guests. We are here as tourists, as a, as temporary tourists. So we should be treated with respect as tourists, as investors who bring money to your country. So there's this debate in social media. Are they guests or as tourists? So, but in reality, what's happening is that people are getting used to having this uh, this Russian population, particularly in Bishkek and Osh, larger areas. There's good business, you know, you know, hostels and hotels and other like restaurants are filled with people. There's a lot of business, but again, there is this grumbling about rising uh, inflation costs because with the with the influx of so many people, of course, prices go up. Yeah, that's true, and. I also heard that um, in Almaty, for example, uh, the most expensive restaurants and cafes are filled in with Russian migrants. It is a business, of course, but also some local population, I think, justifiably um, angry at some of these uh, points because, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a hard uh, ethical, let's say, question when uh, these guests come without kind of invitation and they complain. And uh, also some of these uh, Russian migrants also kind of don't pay too much respect to the local population, treating it as um, with their kind of imperialistic um, attitude. Now I think uh, the local populations of Central Asia are starting to notice this and they point out these things, but some of the Russian migrants are still not really sure why the local population is uh, reacting the way it, it does. 
And the question on the minds of many people here is, when will they leave? When will uh, this migration will stop and reverse? So there are hopes or some expectations here that once uh, the war in Ukraine subsides or there will be some kind of a reversal of policy and many of these uh, relicanti, they will return home. But others, they believe that this trend is going to continue and so there will be new waves of migration and, and that Central Asian cities must be prepared for the arrival of so many others. And so uh, that's the question on the minds of many people. And of course, the language issues will become even more pronounced. Uh, so many of these migrants, they don't speak native languages, right? If the number of Russian speakers increases, for example, in such small countries like Kyrgyzstan, that's going to present some social issues. We already have this problem with advancing Kyrgyz language in our country. So if there will be a lot more Russian speakers, then I think a lot of Kyrgyz native speakers will feel threatened by this uh, over uh, presence of a Russian media and language in, in a small country like Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, in Kazakhstan it already happened, so we are not scared anymore. Yeah, and, and this leads to another question, whether the authorities will take measures to limit or to ban this in-migration to defend their uh, social and cultural and other like issues. So, so far we have not seen uh, the, I mean, Kyrgyz Republic authorities are not willing to impose any restrictions on the arrival or, or on the migration from Russia because they're afraid that Russia might punish them as well by limiting Central Asian migration, Kyrgyz migration. But what about in Kazakhstan? Are there any ideas about somehow restricting or controlling this migration? Um, no, I haven't seen any public statements. The only public statement from Tokayev uh, when there was a surge of Russian migrants um, was that we need to welcome them and provide some support and help. Um, but there was no um, policy, let's say, to tackle the issue of a migration and how it will change the social, political dynamics in the country. I think right now it's just reactive behavior. Not so many people think about the future consequences and what will happen in, in the next few months even. So it's the policy of wait and see. As always in Central Asia. <laughs> This has been Eurasia Chat with your hosts Alisher Hamidov and Aigirin Tulehanova. Tune in to our next episode on Eurasia Net or wherever you get your podcasts.